everyone. I am so glad you're here joining me today on Satiate, the Boulder Nutrition Podcast. I'm Sue Van Rays, your host, functional nutritionist, food psychology specialist, and founder of Boulder Nutrition. I also lead women's wellness and yoga retreats, both locally and internationally. My inspiration in creating Satiate is to offer you well-being and functional nutrition insights with you many inspiring stories that can act as salve for your soul, to introduce to you some of my favorite experts and special guests from all over the country, and to offer you an opportunity to satiate your body, mind, and soul. If you love this podcast, please head over to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. That will help me get this out into the world to more listeners who could benefit from Satiate. I'm very excited to introduce to you today's special guest, Jennifer Rassiopi. Jen is a certified Duke Integrative Medicine health coach, a holistic health counselor, a positive psychology coach, and an astrologer. Her popular private practice often has a wait list due to its high demand. And since 2017, Jen has written Well and Good's weekly cosmic health column. She also has served as the resident astrologer for Kate Northrup's membership site, Origin, and has wrote regular horoscopes for Reebok and has had her work featured in Cosmopolitan Magazine, Mind Body Green, Forbes, Business Insider, The Numinous, Netflix Family, and Aerie. Her first book, Cosmic Health, which I am thoroughly enjoying, was just released this January 2021 with Little Brown Spark. I'm super psyched to be hosting her today, and I hope that you enjoy this very special episode of Satiate. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for being, for having me be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I discovered your work through a few different um, friends over the years, and then I saw your new book come out recently, and I was excited to read it. So here we are, and I'm so excited that you're able to join me here today. Yeah, um, thanks again for having me. Yeah. So interestingly, I was just sort of thinking about the podcast this morning and really considering looking at all these different elements of our health that so many of us do all the time. And I just, I'm going to be straight up, like, I don't really think about cosmic health um, that much until, you know, you've inspired me recently. But when I think about the layers of our health, obviously, we, you know, there's the physical, the mental, emotional, spiritual, hormonal, like so many things going on, consider in ourselves. And um, I'm just so curious, you know, how you got to this work and this very powerful and potent aspect that I'm really sinking into around the aligning with the energy of the universe and how that can support us in what we're doing more fully. So I'd love to hear a little bit about you and just your journey to have sure. brought this to the world. Yeah. So my journey began with a gynecological cancer diagnosis in 1997 that rendered me infertile um, shortly thereafter. And so I was kind of in a menopausal malaise before I even turned 20. Um, and having explored all the ins and outs of Western medicine that Western medicine could possibly offer me and still not feeling emotionally healthy. Um, I was suffering from panic attacks and depression, uh, lots of things in the aftermath of my hysterectomy. And so I went on a journey to find health in a multidimensional way. And part of that was learning to live my life in sync with the lunar phases, which replicated my menstrual cycle that I lost at such a young age and really helped stabilize me. Yeah. So one of the things that I found in reading your book was 
the different ways that you used the, your astrology practice and your lunar focus um, as like navigation. And I know that, you know, a lot of us are aware of a moon coming or, you know, aware of certain astrology, but maybe not necessarily able to adapt that into our own daily practices or our own health. And one of the things I thought that was so fascinating was that you were really using these astrological signs and symptoms and energies to further enhance your own healing process. And mm -hmm. it sounded like the moon very integral in, 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 your, in, your, in your story. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and how, how that came about and then how you like found it to influence your life overall. Yeah. So, you know, I was going through a lot of um, tumultuous, emotional, psychological, physical symptoms in the aftermath of my hysterectomy. And I didn't have a menstrual cycle. I don't have a menstrual cycle. Like when I fill out that doctor form, this is when was the last time you menstruated. I'm like, mm, August, 1998, you know, like that's a long time for, I mean, I'm a 41 year old woman. So that's, you know, more than half of my life at this point that I've been without a menstrual cycle. So the moon mirrors the menstrual cycle in a very distinct way. And I learned that working with the moon's rhythm and the moon's cadence helped me replicate a cycle that I didn't have. So to your point that most people aren't even, you know, can't practically apply lunar wisdom to their daily life. It doesn't surprise me because why would you, you know, like really like there's a lot to be found in it. And obviously that's the, the bulk of my work and why I do what I do is because I want to educate people on why they would. But for me personally, it was like out of desperation Mm -hmm. And when your body fails you in such critical ways and your whole life is on the line, you just do whatever you can to feel better. And so learning to honor the moon's phases and the moon's rhythm and really live in sync with the lunar cycle helped me um, heal from having had a dysfunctional period before I lost my period and then find a path forward without my menstrual cycle. So for me, it looked like just beginning to understand. I mean, I didn't know anything when I began. I didn't know like what a new moon was. I didn't know what a full moon was. I mean, obviously I knew for various like life reasons that the moon would evolve and at certain times of the month wouldn't be visible to our eye. And then at other times of the month would obviously be very visible to our eye. So like, you know, basic second grade science, like I was aware of that, but I didn't know that there was an emotional correspondence and or anything else I could be doing with it. So it was all very brand new, um, fairly radical for me in many ways. It pushed me in ways I didn't even imagine that I could or would or should be pushed. Um, but what I found was that it was critical for me to understand the cyclical nature of my body, the cyclical nature of the universe, and that I could have these, that there was nothing wrong with the highs and the lows I was going through, or, the, you know, these rhythms that were cycling through me that felt really scary, um, were actually natural and normal and a part of life. And so learning to befriend the moon and leverage the moon's rhythm and let that rhythm mimic my body's rhythm and, and harmonize and synchronize my body with, with the planetary cycles first beginning with the moon and then moving on to other planetary cycles. Um, sort of was like, you know, like a blind person will learn to read braille because mm -hmm. they don't have another option. And it was like how I just began the process of surviving what I had been through obviously so much more happened because it was this, this thing that emerged in my life that then took hold of most of my practices from a spiritual perspective. And uh, I think that when we're desperate for healing and we start finding answers in places like yoga or nutrition or, and certainly that was a big part of my healing too, or different healing modalities. And we're like, wow, there's a lot here. It's like a layer of an onion. It just keeps, you know, we just go, deeper and deeper. Um, and that was my experience, but practically speaking, it just began with setting intentions with the new moon, understanding what I felt at the new moon, doing it for many, many, many months. So I could see a, uh, a common denominator of what these moon cycles meant for me in my body, in my life. And then, you know, much of my work is about working at the physical level, but also working at the spiritual level, 
around understanding what I needed to feel happy, healthy, and finding a way to create that. So there were a lot of ritual practices that came in with that. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it's been a very sacred, sacred, holy journey, really back to myself and back to nature. Yeah. So one thing that I remember reading in your book was about, you know, basically observing how we are at different times of the month or different stages of the moon cycle and, and noticing those differences that we might feel in comparison to maybe our friend or to our sister and Mm -hmm. knowing that everyone has a different response to, you know, these cycles in ourselves. And at the same time, I believe that there's still these universals with the way that the rhythm of the moon is impacting us in general. And I was wondering if you would be willing to like break down a little bit, some of those universals of the moon cycle. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really foundational uh, science, I want to say, because um, you know, if we just think about it, the earth rotates on its axis every 24 hours. So that creates night and day. We have a circadian rhythm where hopefully if we have, you know, hormonal regulation that's somehow synchronized to our optimal ways of being, we're waking up in the morning, we're having energy early in the day, we're fueling our bodies with healthy nutrition, we're productive and creative in a way that makes us feel like we're contributing from our gifts and or our sense of purpose throughout the day. And then as we get into the evening hours, we nourish ourselves and we begin the process of rest and restoration. And then we wake up the next day. And that's really all tied to our, well, we have an endogenous clock that syncs with, um, it mimics or mirrors what would, what, what's the circadian rhythm. And, but that comes from um, the earth's cyclical rotation on its axis every 24 hours, right? So our endogenous clock works best when it's synchronized with the natural functions of of day and night. Um, Are you following me so far? Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. The 24 hours. Would you say this is related to the sun somewhat? Oh yeah, because the, well, the sun doesn't rise and set, right? Like we say the sun rises and sets, but what happens is that the earth rotates on its axis from west to east. And it looks like, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. But really all we're doing is we're spinning and it's creating the optical illusion of the sun rising and the sunset. So that's our daily cycle. It's it's in, It works best when it's in sync with the natural cycles of light and dark dictated by the earth's primary rotation, which is a 24 hour rotation on its axis. And then that shifts us from day to night. I mean, it's the most basic thing. We just take it for granted, right? So that's our first rhythm. Our second rhythm is our um, circa annual rhythm. So that's our seasonal rhythm. And that's, that happens based on now we have the earth's daily rotation happens every day, but it's also going around the sun. And as it's going around the sun, it takes a full year to go around the sun. And we have these different seasons where there's different foods available. Our energy patterns shift according to where we are in relationship to the sun based on what our natural environment will um, allow us to have. Like right now I look out the window and it's like deep winter where I live. There's snow on the ground. I'm certainly not going out to my garden to like get my fresh cucumber and make my juice like I do in July or really August. Um, So we adapt our annual rhythm to our environment, which is why we have spring, summer, fall, winter, right? And we are know we know enough about living seasonally and eating seasonally, and the benefits of that, um, and then also managing our energy accordingly. And so astrology, basically, is is the sum of these two cycles, right? If we just talk about its most basic essence. Then we add in the fact that we're on earth, we're on earth. It's rotating on its axis every 24 hours. We have a biological mechanism within us that mirrors that, right? Then we're on earth as it's rotating on its axis every 24 hours, going around the sun every year. We have a biological rhythm that mirrors and mimics that, right? Like that's why eating seasonally is great. That's why changing our health habits with the seasons is so important, Um, because we're not, we don't have the same energy in winter as we do summer because we have different exposure to sunlight. 
pretty basic. Mm -hmm. um, and then we just throw in the third primary cycle in all of this, which is that while this is all going on, the moon is orbiting the earth, right? So the, the earth is rotating, it's um, going around the sun. And then while that's happening, the moon is orbiting the earth. Following me so far? Totally. And it, thank you for being super clear about it because it's really giving me a good visual. <laughs> yeah. And then, it's, and then, so the moon, uh, it, it's a, this groovy phenomenon, right? The moon doesn't have any light unto itself. The moon doesn't, like the sun has its own light. The moon does not have its own light. The moon reflects the light of the sun back to us at different phases throughout the month at different degrees, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what, a, that's what a lunar phase is. It's how much, what's the angular, what's the angular relationship between the sun and the moon at any given moment where we'll, I, we either will see the moon fully illuminated or we'll see parts of the moon illuminated or we won't see moon at all, right? So this is the most basic way of saying it. The new moon, which is the beginning of any lunar cycle, it's the start of a lunar cycle. And if we lived on a lunar calendar, it'd be the start of the month, but that's really messy to the um, more patriarchal systems. It's like, it's the first of the month, right? Like, well, is it? Because is that the first of the lunar cycle? No, that's the, that's the new moon. But when we have the new moon, the sun and the moon apparently rise at the same exact time, right? So we won't see the moon because the moon is with the sun and they're, they're in an alignment. It's a sun, moon, earth, and yeah, sun, moon, earth alignment that the moon is in front of the sun. So it's, it's the, the angular distance isn't such that it's going to actually receive the sun's light and reflect us back, reflect it back to us because they're, they're in alignment with one another. So they're back to back. So we don't see the moon. And every single day after a new moon, on average, right, this changes, it's not an exact number, but on average, the moon rises 50 minutes later. So we have the new moon, the sun and the moon are going to rise at the same, roughly the same time, you know, give or take some time, give or take a little bit, but roughly the same. We won't see the moon at all that night. And then the next day, the moon's going to rise about 50 minutes later on average, right? And then every day the moon rises 50 minutes later than it did the day before. So by the time the full moon happens, when the sun is setting, the moon is rising. Are you following me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when the sun sets and the moon rises, the sun and moon are in opposition to one another. So why is that so important? Because they're opposite one another and the moon's now able to be this reflector, this mirror back of sunlight as the sun setting. So we have an illuminated night sky. And then after that, the moon continues to rise 15 minutes later. So at, at the full moon, the, the sun and, will set as the moon rises. And then the next night, it'll be slightly later that the moon rises. The moon is still in an angular distance to the sun where we're gonna see a very big moon. But over time, the moon's rising later and later. And it's, um, so it's waning, it's losing its direct opposition from the sun. Therefore it's, it's losing light at night. So we go through this period of no light at night via the moon to incrementally more, a, a bigger portion of the moon being reflected to us in the night sky uh, to the sun moon opposition where we get, that's well, always half of the moon, right? Cause the moon's, uh, right. we never see the full moon, <laughs> yeah. but, but we get this huge disc of the moon reflected back to us. And then we incrementally throughout the waning phase lose moonlight because the moon is rising later and later in the night. Therefore the angular distance between the sun and the moon is closing as opposed to opening. And if we take that concept of, of opening versus closing, the waxing period is like this, it's a waxing, we're, we're gaining illumination of the moon. And then the waning period is a shedding, it's a releasing, it's a closing of, of the angular distance. And that's curious because, you know, we know scientifically we have a circadian rhythm. Nobody questions that. Right. We know scientifically we have 
a circa-annual rhythm, a seasonal rhythm. I mean, that's still slightly fringe, but really nobody questions that. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about a circa-lunar rhythm, a circa-monthly rhythm, we still have mixed science on this, right? Like, so the science isn't clear. Do humans have a circa-lunar rhythm or not, right? Um, and so for, you know, I'm just going to come out and say we do. Like we do. <laughs> women, yeah. Women have a menstrual cycle. That's roughly the same length of time as the moon cycle. That um, seems to be fairly um, not an accident. <laughs> no, it's not. A fish massively have been proven to have endogenous circle lunar clocks. Um, lots of vegetation has, they have circle lunar clocks. Um, so we know that the animal kingdom and we know that the plant kingdom both have biologically proven circle lunar clocks. Humans, it's hard, it's hard for them to deduce if humans have this or not because we live in a land with electricity and we're not in the hunter-gatherer time where it's like we could get these really great samples and cross, you know, cross compare. Um, which is why I say study it for yourself and see, because I can't say concretely that you have a circle lunar clock because the science hasn't proven it. But for everyone I've worked with so far who's taken this very season, I mean, seriously, they've realized that they have these rhythmic changes throughout the course of this month, throughout the course of any month based on where the moon is. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, like those are the common denominators that we begin with. We just start to see how we feel at the new moon how we feel as the moon is rising during the day and then, you know, uh, is illuminated at night, how we feel when there's that direct opposition between sun and moon at full moon. And then as that, as the closing um, distance between the sun and the moon advances in the waning phases, how do you feel then? And, um, you know, I will just, can I, did you want to say something? Cause I have one more point to add. No, go ahead. So a lot of people, and this is why science gets so dicey around this is because there's a lot of like folklore around the full moon or, you know, there's a lot of folkloric sort of myths around what the full moon, why the full moon impacts us. And like one theory is that the full moon impacts us because, well, the moon rules the oceans and we're mostly water. So of course the gravitational pull of the moon in alignment with the earth and the sun is going to have an impact on us as it does, you know, cause the sun, moon yeah. and earth are aligned with the new moon and the full moon in a direct way. And um, I'm not saying that that's not true, uh, but I am saying that there's an entirely different lens that, through which we need to look at this. And that is uh, the impact of light on us. Um, we are neuroendocrine, our neuroendocrinology is wired to respond to light. And so when the moon, like right now, the moon's waxing gibbous, I don't know the exact time of the moonrise today, but it's going to be in the late afternoon. And then when the sun sets, we'll already have a moon up. So we're going to be getting lots of of that dual light, the sun and the moon, which means our night times are more activated than say when there's no moon in the sky. And um, there's there's emerging science coming out now that's even more, more fully documenting this, that it's really the impact of light on our neuroendocrinology um, that may be more scientifically viable in understanding this. That's not to say that gravitational impact wouldn't affect us. Um, it's just to say that we really need to be paying attention to it's light at night. And so if the sun is setting and there's already a moon up and we're exposed to that moonlight, we're not going to have as easy of a time settling down at night. And that's going to shift. And just to bring the conversation back to food, because I know that that's one of your primary focuses of, or one of the primary focuses of this podcast I have come to learn that food cravings shift with lunar phases. So for example, if we're in the waxing gibbous phase, like we're in, as we're recording this, and we're more activated in our nighttime than we are at other cycle, other points of the lunar cycle, our sleep is impacted, right? We might not have as easy of time winding down at night. And Yeah. I mean, I have some far out theories onto why we may have different food cravings at this time, 
<laughs> all the way to like, we have a microbiome and all those buggy things inside of us. They have their own circadian rhythms. And like, you know, they're awake with the nightlight. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's bacterial or what it is, but I just feel like um, food craving shift with our nighttime with our experience of our nighttime energy. And if we're getting less sleep, we may crave more sugar. If we are more agitated on a psychological or emotional level at night, we may need more comfort foods. If we're just up longer and not, you know, like not resting as deeply, um, we may feel more creative and, and crave different variations of food than if we're just like, I'm tired, I'm going to bed. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's a really important point, actually, especially for this audience, because one thing that I'm always reminding people of in my practice is that we are so conditioned to think that we should be eating the same regimented, whatever, eating style on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and not accounting for these types of changes in our energy and how we feel. I find that it just really complicates our psychology around food when we're not taking into account these changes in our body and in our sleep patterns, which change our hormonal patterns, which literally adjust our hunger and fullness hormones um, on a daily basis. Like one bad night of sleep can change our cravings the next day. And the full moon, I know for me, um, it's... I I often wake up in the middle of the night and feel very alert and, you know, I don't get as deep of a sleep. And sometimes that can be a challenge, but recently I've been noticing that if I soften into it, so like the last time there was a full moon, I was awake and instead of being like, oh, I have to get back to sleep. I have to do all these things tomorrow and I don't want to be tired. I was like, I'm going to moon bathe in my bedroom with the, you know, moonlight coming through the blinds and just lay here and take that in. And Mm -hmm. it shifted my perspective a lot. And then as we watch our cravings and our energy shift, instead of feeling bad about it or confused by it, or, you know, feeling like there's something wrong, we can embrace it more fully. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, there, I mean, you said a lot there. So I want to dial back to this idea that we're cyclical, right? We're not linear. We're cyclical. Like, and it's not like energy, you know, like it's, it's not like there's this other energy that's impacting us. Like I like to get really specific. It's the planet we live on is constantly rotating and, uh, and, and cycling around the sun, rotating on its axis and cycling around the sun every single day. We are in a different orientation to the sun than we were the day before. Um, And we are constantly going through that night and day rotation. And the, you know, the moon's having its own dance with us. So these are, it's like basic, for lack of a better word, I mean, not even lack of a better word, but it's basically like physics. It's, these are geophysical cycles or they're geocosmic cycles. But I mean, it's, it's like, it's like literally like first grade science, second grade science. And so why are we as adults so divorced from the sensibility that we're, we're on this and we're in this environment that we can't get out of? Like maybe one of us could be an astronaut and get out of it, but even then we're on a different relationship to the sun and the planets. We're not yeah. out of it. Um, yeah, and like our bodies are connected to the planet, right? So it's like, there's cycles, right? It's it, So I just like to be um, clear on that because it's actually not that far out. It's pretty, yeah. pretty elementary. We just don't, don't account, account for it, right? And then the lunar dynamic is this third dynamic that is, you know, um, slightly taboo because of its connection to witchcraft or it's like the, mm-hmm. like the patriarchy has like deemed it as, the devil or something. I don't know. Um, but it's also just basic science. So I, you know, I, I'd like to just bring like really hold space for science in this conversation. Absolutely. The second part of this, um, being this idea that if we are agitated and, or 
disturbed at night in any way, shape or form because of a full moonlight, this idea that that's bad. You know, I mean, I've had many nights where I'd spend the full moon and I've slept like a baby. It's like really just didn't even impact me. And then I've had many nights where I've been agitated, restless because anxiety, you know, like things are provoked at the full moon. So that's a different experience. Then I've had other experiences with the full moon where I've felt like really creative and like want to want to work on a passion project through the night, um, which isn't great for our circadian clock. But also it's okay. You know, like, I'm not saying like really work through the night, but I'm just saying up a little bit later, like not, you know, like not as, not as disciplined as maybe I would be at a different time. Cause I, I give into it. There's nothing wrong with that. Like if we miss out on our solid sleep for one or two nights a month, but while we're up, moon bathing through the blinds and, or, you know, like working on a passion project and or having our own existential battle, right. With whatever's coming up. That's also part of our health because if we don't tend to what's subconsciously coming to the surface and, or our own spiritual practices, are we healthy? You know what I mean? Like, exactly. And, and I have found on those nights where like, actually it wasn't that long ago where I literally did stay up for a whole night with the moon. Not because I wanted to, I was actually quite frustrated by it, but I gave into it. And what happened in that night was better than sleep because I rode the waves of something that was coming up for me that was more restorative and pivotal for my growth, my trajectory, my understanding of myself. Like I worked through some things that sleeping maybe would have been more peaceful, but not more productive for me in a way where, yeah, I got to see some things or be with some things or feel some things or have this experience that was actually better than sleep. And like the net gain, more important than that night of sleep. So I'm not by any means trashing sleep. I love sleep. It's a foundation <laughs> of our well-being. We need it. I, you know, I don't say look for those sorts of things. I'm just saying if you find yourself in it, what's another way that we can look at that so that we're not adding the stress of being frustrated and angry and cranky to on top of this, right? Like, it's like, can we ride it out? Can we see what's coming up? Can we be with it and let that be its own medicine? I love that. Hmm. And I also just was like thinking as you were talking, I feel like we have been conditioned to override so many things, right? Override how we feel, override our intuition, override our fatigue override, whatever, you know, because we're taught that we should be productive and push through and basically be stronger than whatever that other force is. And mm -hmm. it's just a really great reminder that, you know, we can pause, slow down and take those moments to moon bathe or be up all night. Maybe, you know, we don't feel as productive the next day, but maybe there's a different kind of productivity like you mentioned going on in a healing sense that is actually going to propel us forward in our lives way more than that to-do list would have done if we were to be able to like check everything off the next day. Bingo. You know, and it's like, we don't know. Well, and when we're dealing with things like, you know, sacred practices of honoring lunar phases, we are, we're, we're getting into our subconscious. We're getting into our spirituality. We're getting into things that aren't so linear necessarily. And they have a place in our healing journey for sure. Yeah. So I really want to talk to you about your book, but while we're on the topic of, well, I mean, all of this is about your book, but a little bit more specifically, um, while we're on the topic of the moon, would you be willing to share with us just kind of some of the practices you might recommend for, let's say the full moon versus the new moon? Yeah. I mean, they're in my book as well. Like I give a very specific new moon ritual in the Neptune chapter and a full moon ritual in the moon cycle chapter. Um, 
but a new moon is a time of initiation. A full moon is a time of release and or embodiment. And here's the deal. Every single one of us has a different background, heritage. Uh, we have different philosophical beliefs. So I'm not really in the business of of prescribing anything, you know, because you, it's up to us to take the basic concepts of what the lunar cycle means and then bring ourselves to it. So if you have a traditional religion that you work with and, or if you have a heritage that's, um, you know, of a specific descent and there are spiritual practices in that it's, you know, to curate your own ritual, um, my rituals shouldn't be everyone's rituals. You know, like I give rituals, they're on my website and in the book, but it's really with the suggestion of curating it yourself for you because you're not me and I'm not you. And I don't know what your spiritual practices are and or what your vision or values are. But new moons are very much a time of setting intentions and, and getting in sync with what needs to evolve next in life for you to feel whole and full. And then full moons are times of illumination, release, time to break habits, let things go. Um, but uh, yeah, moon ritual magic is a very distinct thing and it's really fun to play with. Um, it's also been problematic. And in some of the ways I have had to unlearn how I've taught it because I was contributing to the problems around it where, um, you know, we really need to take into consideration everyone's rich and diverse backgrounds mm. and allow for space in all of this for our own ethnicity and or religious beliefs to be the central focus of how we sculpt our own um, rituals, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So just to kind of reflect back so that we can kind of distill these two different aspects of the moon cycle. And I love that you're saying we should really create our own rituals because I think when we do rituals that don't fit with us, they really don't feel good. No. They feel sort of foreign and contrived and, you know, like almost like for me, like I'm going through the motions, but I'm not really in there because it's something that's coming from the outside. So I absolutely agree with you. I think what's um, what I really was getting at and what I really want to just kind of reflect back is that you are basically sharing that the new moon is a really good time for new beginnings, maybe setting intentions or being clear about where you're heading. It's, it's a time of discernment and distillment. It's, you know, we want to be gentle at the new moon. It's not necessarily the day we're like, I'm going to like crush 17 goals and like whatever it is. But it's a, it's a time to seed wisdom, right? And it's a time to make a wish, have a hope, have a dream, have a vision, have a goal that you want to. Let's think of it this way. The first of the new year is this day where we celebrate our new year's resolution. As if that's the only time of year that we can start fresh. <laughs> right. Right. Like, and like resolutions is a whole different topic, but like we set our goals in January one and then by like January 20, whatever, or 19th, when the sun moves into Aquarius, you know, we forget those goals and we move on. But like, what if we did that every new moon, right? Like what if every new moon we refocused on like, what's the next thing that's really important for us to be or become or do or achieve or actualize within ourselves and that's really the essence of the new moon is it's a, it's a, the beginning of a new lunar cycle. So we are at this moment where the sun, moon, and earth are aligned. We're not going to see the moon at all at night. It's a dark night. It's more internal. We won't be dealing with the extra dynamic of light at night from the moon. And so the psychological mirror and or um, corollary is that we can listen. You know, so I will say foundationally, the new moon's a time to hear, to hear your own wisdom, to hear your own guidance, and to use your own discernment around what you want to bring into this next lunar cycle and or what you don't want to bring into this next lunar cycle. Make a wish, have a hope. As the moon waxes, that's a different, you know, now we're at the moon's rising 50 minutes on average later every day, and we're going to be more stimulated at night. We're coming into a, a growth cycle. Then we want to apply more of a work ethic behind all this up until that point where the sun and the moon are in opposition, which is a, a shift, right? Because now where the sun's gonna, the moon's going to rise later in the day than it had before. And therefore, we're going to have a break between the sun setting and the moon rising, which is actually really great for our biology. 
Um, but, but yeah, like foundation is like new moons are times to get clear on what you want to initiate, set an intention for what you want to initiate, maybe not take tons of action necessarily, unless it feels really aligned, you know, like write in your journal sort of thing. Um, if you have an altar practice where you go and you sit and you do some sort of ritual to honor new beginnings, to set the intention, um, to, I, I, I encourage writing things down at the new moon. What, what do you want? Where are you going? Writing your goals. I mean, half of, of achieving anything in life begins with writing it down and saying it out loud. Absolutely. In fact, I was doing research on like goals at some point for an article I wrote, and it really showed and highlighted how much we can boost up our goals by writing them down first, boost them up even further by talking them out loud and boost them up even further by checking in with someone regularly about them. It was like these great incremental success rates that came out of just those three things. And I was just, just those three things. Yeah. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think the sharing and the having an accountability buddy or, you know, practitioner, however that is set up in your life can be so powerful. Um, and then what you were saying with the full moon is that maybe this is a time to see where we're stuck, see what's not working within our focus within our goals, within our intentions and release. Would you say that's Yeah, full moons are great times to get clear on the habits you want to break and, or what do you want to shift? What's, you know, now that we're in the closing section, we're entering into the closing section of this lunar cycle, evaluate how did you do in those last two weeks? What needs, what obstacles did you come across? What needs to change within you or in your external world to be more um, accommodating to that, which you want to bring forward. And, uh, you know, life has a way of showing us these things. So it's really just about like being astute and aware of what's happening and pivoting as necessary. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can go on and on about this. I teach lots of courses about it. It's all in yeah. my book. So I just want to be really like, you know, don't want to replicate too much in terms Absolutely. of just the, the content at large, but yeah, they, I mean, we're in this cycle where we're initiating and we're closing, right? Like we're, we're beginning a new season, a new cycle with the moon we're ending a cycle with the moon every single month. And so if we just take in the basic aspects around beginning, middle and end every mm-hmm. month, we're, we're good. And if we intertwine that with our spiritual practices and what it means to be embodied and our eating and our pleasure and our play, we have a really rich um, roadmap for how to work with this. Absolutely, I love it. Um, so I, I wanted to turn our focus for a moment to your book and you you really bring in some very rich principles around what you call you know cosmic health but I think the principles I think you're just calling them in your book the five principles of cosmic health and mm-hmm. um and some of them have to do with those these rhythms and some of them I think are influenced by some of your other uh specialties like positive psychology and integrative wellness. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to just touch on like how those came about those, those different principles of cosmic health? Sure. I, you know, when, when I thought about what, what this book needed to really be about, um, first of all, you've learned a lot <laughs> by writing. <laughs> so it, it really came from the writing practice. Um, and then just how do you organize this and how do you structure this? And like, what's, what's the essence of what I want to say. And so, you know, um, let's take like, uh, know yourself. It's a never ending journey, right? Um, it's this idea that we, we find ourselves and then we see that person. Right. Or like, I've just heard from so many clients, like, it's like, I just want to like find myself and be myself, but who we are yesterday is not who we are today and who we are today isn't who we're going to be tomorrow because we're constantly cycling through beginning, middle and ends. And we're learning, right? Like if we are growing, we're changing. If we're changing, we've got to grieve, we've got to feel, we've got to become. So we're constantly in this evolving relationship with ourselves and our own understanding of who we are. So we wanna know ourselves um, and we want to be a participant in the ongoing of our knowing ourselves. 
the ongoing um, work of knowing ourselves every day, which is self-awareness. It's emotional health. It's emotional intelligence. Um, it's also astrology, right? Cause we can look at our natal astrology chart and like, oh, this is who I fundamentally am. These are the cycles and seasons I'm in now. What do I need to change to be most amenable to where I am right now? Um, unlock your healing magic uh, is, you know, this idea that we have more agency than we realize um, and that we can, create very big changes in our own life and in the world around us by activating a sense of purpose and integrity and doing work that is in sync with our own spiritual practices, with earth-based practices that radically change the trajectory of our future. And um, I've just, I just know that to be true in my bones and my practice and my work with the thousands of people I've worked with in my career. I've seen it happen a lot. So I'm just a huge, huge, huge uh, supporter of this idea that when we work with forces within ourselves and forces outside of ourselves, um, via just even the basic physics of how the planets work and our own spiritual prowess, psychic, spiritual, emotional prowess, um, that we can unlock a reality that doesn't exist otherwise. And it's really fueled through love or the deepest love within, um, the deepest love for where we wish to go. And I think that that is, you know, just something we forget. Um, resilience for me is another big thing that shows up in those core principles. And I really just firmly feel life is never going to be all roses and rainbows we've learned that deeply in 2020 and and what's 2021 has brought so far and so if we're not working on developing our resilience our ability to withstand all the stuff we don't think is ever going to happen to us right if we don't have a plan for disaster and or the ability to face life exactly as it is and rise anyway within us then what's the point because we're not going to be able to avoid challenge and disruption our whole lives. We're going to die and everyone else we know is going to die. So resilience is really just for me, the reason why we work on our health. So like when we have that sleepless night, because it's the full moon, something so benign as that we're like, oh, okay, how's this helping me? As opposed to mother, ah, I didn't sleep. And like, we want to rip our kid's head off and, you know, get into an argument with our coworker or partner and then like have a meltdown. And it's like, those things happen. They're human. Don't get me wrong. Um, but also like, yeah, if we skip that night of sleep, is it the end of the world? No. You know, like, what are we going to get out of that? And that's applying a resilient mindset to minor inconveniences. And then we look at like macro inconveniences, like a global pandemic that's spanning the course of multiple years, perhaps before it's over, that's radically reshaping our entire relationship to each other and society, um, our work, how we play, how we interact, travel, if that still exists, I don't know. Um, you know, resilience is the ability to be with what is and still find a creative solution or a way of thriving no matter what. Mm. Um, so resilience is really the backbone of all of my work. Um, embracing the genius of the and for me is very much about, uh, it's not an either or, you know, we're not, nothing is. Nothing's an either or. We can be deeply creatively inspired and tending to our pleasure um, and living an embodied and full life and be grieving something that's so deep and so dark and so painful at the same time. We can be working on our health um, and really thriving in a lot of ways with our health and still smoke cigarettes, you know, like because we haven't actually broke that attachment to whatever it is that's there, but we're not, not moving forward because we we're not perfect, right? Like we're still reconciling a habit that's not good for us that we don't feel good about, but we're not also then having three Cokes with dinner, a bowl of popcorn for lunch and cotton candy for breakfast, just because we have this one aspect of addiction still live in our life, you know, so we can, we're, mo we're multiple things at once and life is multiple things at once. And, um, I'm just kind of done with 
binaries as a whole that were either one or the other, you know? I'm so um, yeah, I think that that's important. So did I hit them all? I feel like I missed one. Which one am I missing? Um, let's see. I think you hit, um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So for me, that's like what health means. Like, can we face life as it is and rise anyway? Can we be in the depths of our own pain? and still see possibility for where we want to go next without bypassing what's happening? Can we use all these spiritual practices to unlock a deeper force of love within that doesn't require life to be perfect or us to be perfect and still animate a different potential for ourselves and the world around us Mm -hmm. by tapping into our creativity, the most basic sense of our creativity. Um, And then like, we don't have to be all evidence-based science and or woo, it's not an either or, we can have deep spiritual practices Mm -hmm. and use the best of modern science. Absolutely. Another piece that I think is so great that you really bring in is like astrology and the cosmic health that you talk about is another layer of knowing ourselves better and understanding Mm -hmm. ourselves better. And in so many ways, I have, you know, lived that, especially with the moon and the sun, but I think I've always felt a little more intimidated with the greater picture of astrology because, you know, there's some of it that's so complex. And one thing I just want to compliment you on is the way that you're writing and the way that you're talking about these different planets and these different aspects of astrology you're really doing it in a way that is making it so easy for my brain to understand. And so that, you know, that's wonderful that you are skilled in that way. Um, But also, you know, another piece of it that I love is bringing the goddess myths into some of the planets Mm -hmm. that you speak about. And I study a lot about the goddesses, especially the Hindu goddesses. And I travel to Bali a lot and, you know, do a lot of different kinds of ritual there around the moon and with their goddess devotional practices that have really, you know, influenced my life. And it's just a a great opportunity to see how all of these things can be connected. And yet there's still this grounding aspect of the, of the science that you speak about. So Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's embracing the end, you know, we can have a relationship with the archetypes that drive our life and the planetary archetypes and the mythology of, of various characters, um, in the archives of all the multifaceted ways that the goddess, the divine Mm. shows up, uh, and yeah, and still, embrace a sense of uh, brass tacks practicality around it. So I appreciate that. It was a a huge goal of the book. It was very, it was a difficult book to write, honestly. I bet, I bet. Cause it's like, there's a lot of material in it. And yet the way that you wrote it is, I can see where it would, you would have to think how to present it in a way that people who don't have experience with astrology would be able to digest it. And you absolutely did that. Yeah, I had to get help, right? Like we, we can't always do, we, no one sits down and does anything by, entirely by themselves. But, you know, like I, I had so much material that I was putting in this book and to make it read really well, I, you know, I needed someone to come in from an outside perspective, from an editorial perspective and be like, this isn't really working here. You may want to try this or like, let's try this or like, here's another idea. Um, so for anyone out there writing a book, just know that there are people <laughs> developmental editors to support you and read your material in its most nascent stages and help you understand where you are not serving the reader. And I really, really suggest engaging those services. Absolutely. I'm actually in that process right now with my next book and it is um, morphing by the day, but in a good way. And I love getting that feedback from people that I'm working with. It's just, it's a game changer. Critical. It's critical, right? Absolutely. Okay. So um, I feel like obviously we could go on and on and I I could go into so many different aspects. I just want to tell you, I was reading the chapter on Venus the other night and my boyfriend came upstairs to go to bed and I was like, I'm reading about Aphrodite and Venus. So I'll be a minute. And he was like, he was just laughing because, you know, it's like, he's like, I love that you love that. (laughs) And it was, you know, just, uh, nice little bedtime story for me. Um, 
So I can. Well, thank you. I'm so glad that you're (laughs) you're enjoying the book. That means the. I mean, it literally means the world. So thank you. I can't thank you enough. Game changer. Um. So I've thought it would be fun if we could talk a little bit about astrology with the coming times. And I know that we write this, this podcast is going to be published in time for the full moon of February, Mm -hmm. our second full moon of the year, right? Our second full moon. Yeah. And, um, and also we have this, you know, one of the most challenging years that most of us have ever seen as far as collectively happening with the pandemic. And I'm just curious with both of those, if there's a temperature Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the, this particular full moon and what it sort of is doing. And then a little sure. bit. Of- so, so this full moon is in Virgo, which is the sign of health and digestion. So it's a great time to actually be looking at um, how we're eating and what we're eating and what we need for our health and break some habits around what's not serving us. So if we are in that both and where we're striving for better health and eating Starburst at three o'clock, because our, you know, like whatever it is, I don't know, you know, I'm just telling you things that I may have done in my life or I've heard my clients have done. Um, and like true story, I had a death in my family. Uh, uh, I, my stepfather died of COVID January 4th. Oh my and, gosh. Oh wow. yeah. So um, and my book came out January 12th. And I- That's my birthday. That's so funny because I must've bought it right after that. <laughs> It's interesting. It's my grandmother's birthday too. She has passed as well. But um, and so my book came out January 4th. I mean, sorry, my book came out January 12th and my stepfather died January 4th. And he was deeply sick for many weeks prior. He got COVID December 3rd. So it happened fast, but it was very, very, very traumatic the way it all happened. And then doing it in the middle of a book launch, like I literally did stop at a gas station to get a few things. I was like, Oh, what are these starbursts? And I'm like, Oh, I haven't had this sort of thing in like forever. And like, I ate a few and then quickly got sick literally and not like vomiting sick, but just my whole body can't tolerate it. And I was like, Oh, I know. I know I don't do that, but, but yeah, no, it was, it was so joyful to have a can- like a piece of candy, like comfort food in that way. And then I was like, no, my body can't handle it. But anyway, back to this full moon, if you yourself are in a cycle where you've been clutching to some form of emotional eating, and I share my story just to say that that is a, you know, I mean, it's a human thing. This is also a good time to be like, enough's enough. I don't feel good. I feel like crap. I want to change. I'm just going to let this go. Like you can go out to the moonlight with your vice of choice and just like surrender it and let it go. Cause Virgo is really the sign of purity. Um, and it's a good time to actually get a little bit more disciplined in our eating and our discernment around what our body needs, because oftentimes we, our body doesn't even want that, right? Like we know we'll feel like crap afterwards. Um, but our maturity in the moment we're regressed, right? Like we regressed. Like when I picked up the bag of Starburst, I, I had regressed because I was in such a stress moment with what had gone on. I was like, candy. Yeah. That sounds like a simple win. Um, but well, like, you know, it feels good to just like try something to almost prove to ourselves that it still doesn't make us feel good. Like, you know, after all these years of not eating Starburst, it's like, does it really not make you feel good? And then trying it is such a good challenge to be like, oh yeah, it really doesn't make me feel good. No, I literally got a UTI, BT dubs. Like it's going personal here, but like it didn't take very long where I was like, oh, I would feel the same way. I'm sure. I mean, and then just like the, like the pain of a UTI and I haven't had a UTI in like forever. So I'm just like, my body's like, you cannot do this girl. Like there's no doing it. But in any event, so we regress in these moments where we have these experiences and then, but we want to, we want to bring ourselves up to our current age our current reality and access our deepest sense of resilience in the moment and, uh, and let them go. So that Virgo is also a time to organize the sun's in Pisces, the moon's in Virgo. Pisces is very spiritual and Virgo is very, um, astute. So we want to use that marriage between spirituality and astuteness. Um, in terms of the question around 2021, uh, you know, what happened last week, which was basically, uh, the week of Valentine's Day, but particularly February 17th was a very critical, critical transit that's going to be in play all year. That's basically the cosmic curriculum of the year. And this is like when we've had the energy crisis 
and bursting of pipes and, you know, much of the nation's, you know, obviously Texas and so many other places impacted by not being able to get heat. Um, we're in this time where Saturn, the planet of structures and foundation is in a square to Uranus, who's the planet of disruption and revolution. And so this square tells the story of the whole year. And um, it makes for tumultuous times. It also makes for deeply creative times. Um, so we have the first square, February 17th. We'll have the second square, I think it's June 14th. And then we'll have the third and final square, December 24th or 25th. And so the Saturn-Uranus square is really foundational. So I would say, look back to just two weeks ago, a week ago, and see what was evolving in your life. Where did the volatility come up? Who do you want to be in the face of that volatility? And how are you going to be resilient and creative as we move forward in this year? Because the year has a ton of opportunity. I mean, we are coming into this time where right now we're not going to have retrograde planets for a while. Um, we, you know, March is such a groovy month compared to anything we've had since 2019, astrologically speaking. Um, May gets a little wonky because we enter into eclipse season. June, we have that second Uranus Saturn square with eclipses and Mercury retrograde, but even still Jupiter's in moves into Pisces, which can be really healing and joyful. So I think we're going to, this year's a mixed bag. And I keep saying it's the battle between no longer and not yet. It's like the old is going and the new hasn't yet fully found its form. And we're all in limbo and limbo is chaos, right? We're in between worlds and, but and chaos sounds like a dirty word, but it's not. It's it's the <laughs> it's an opportunity for creativity to emerge in deep and profound ways. And the future is creative. So this is a time for us all to like find our own ingenuity, our own voice, our own ability to problem solve, either on the mass scale, you know, like, okay, so you're upset that people are without um heat you know, like do a, a blanket drive or, you know, like, what are you going to do? You know, like, yeah. or um, another thing that's really relevant, this full moon in, in something I've been meditating on is excessive sadness or excessive anger. So excessive sadness, like when we're overly sad, like going down the dumps, like I'm like starting like ha hashtag br break the gloomies, right? Because everyone I talk to is like, just sinking and sinking and sinking further in a malaise that we don't have any interruption on because we're not going anywhere and we're not doing anything. And it's just, the news isn't getting any better. So what the hell? Like, we're just like, it's depressing. Um, but when we go into that like disempowered place of our sadness and it goes on for too long, right? Like I'm all about feeling your feelings, crying out. If you're depressed, be depressed. You don't have to be anything else. But at some point we have to ask the question, what's the next step here? And sometimes depression is really anger that hasn't had a place to come out. So can we get like angry and can we use that anger as a way to activate and find solutions mm -hmm. and make changes and get things done that are going to be productive in a way that's going to allow our own healing. The flip side of that is sometimes we're too angry for too long. And really that anger is protecting us from feeling our sadness and our grief. And so one question I have for this full moon is where are you on that spectrum of sadness and anger? And can you look what's underneath it to see what the next layer is? Because we really want to get out of feeling stuck in one or the other and get to what's going to help us process this so that we can emerge. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. And I think emerge is exactly <laughs> the word that many of us are wanting and craving because, you know, here we are, it's February, which I always think of as one of the more challenging months for mental health anyways, because mm -hmm. we've had the darkest times of the year, you know, kind of coming into accumulation here. And now we have the global pandemic on top of that. We've been in, most of us have been home way more than usual. And so I, I think it's so right on to remind people that we can dig deeper. And even sometimes I notice mm -hmm. like our anger, frustration is also our boredom, you know, or our lack of being able to do life as we think of as normal. And so it's such a great opportunity to do that inner inquiry and that self-study. 
that comes and then do something, you know what I mean? Like, and then do something. So if you are sleep, you know, going down the doozies of, of gloomy central and, and like, you're starting to not be able to be productive in work. And then there's like a landslide of work you're not getting to because mm-hmm. you've gotten depressed and, or you can't focus being like, well, actually I'm just, I'm angry. And then anger comes in. You're like, I'm going to get things done, you know, like, and that's good because you've been stale or stagnant, or if you've been like raging and like inhospitable to people in your home or your family, or just like too feisty, it's like, well, actually I'm sad. And I need a good cry. You know, it's like, and these it's, it's the, our body needs a sense of catharsis. We need to do the next thing with our emotions or else we get trapped and they get trapped. And um, yeah, so I think it's, I think it's inquiry and action because it's a full moon. Absolutely. I love it. No retrograde planets. <laughs> yes. And Mercury, I heard this came out of retrograde recently. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mercury came out of retrograde on Saturday. So we're in cleanup next steps. We've got to take next steps. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, it is such a pleasure to have you here today and to hear all of your insights and wisdom and just commentary on the things I've been studying in your book. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to join me. And yeah, thank you so much. I will post where to find you and all about your book in the show notes. And hopefully we can stay connected. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here and I really appreciate it. And thank you for reading the book. It just means the world. Oh, absolutely. It was such a, such a joy. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of Satiate. Sending you my wholehearted wish for your health and happiness. And I will see you back here very soon.